0: Yo, Big D back with a UFC 285 edition. Before I bring in my UFC friend Billy, please subscribe, like, and share the Spunky Spectrum Sports YouTube page where uh, there's plenty of content out there and more coming. Also, check out the Big D podcast for all your audio listeners on Spotify and Apple. So, uh, back to uh, discuss this week's UFC 285 from uh, Las Vegas. action network fantasy labs must be billy ward right so billy uh we get john jones back this weekend
1: yeah i mean there's there's one rule about john jones which is never assume you're gonna see a john jones fight until he's actually in the cage because we've had so many you know friday cancellations and various weirdness with him but yeah you know if all things go according to plan very exciting to see him after three years return to action, stepping up to heavyweight. You know, he looks just as big as all the other heavyweights, so that shouldn't be an issue for him. But, you know, he's 35 now. He hasn't fought in three years, have those skills broken down? It'll be a really interesting fight. Well, uh, usually you
0: talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of a fight with John Jones. I think we should talk about the good, the bad, and the unknown because when John Jones was in his prime, and that two five division, I'm not sure there was there was a, been a better light heavyweight. I mean, condition wise, he could take you to the ground. He could box with you. I I, I mean, I, I don't remember a better all round light heavyweight or even maybe even MMA fighter than him.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you threw that caveat in there at the end because at his peak, I, it's very hard to argue that anyone was better than John Jones. But he kind of, and you know the one argument that I would consider making is Anderson Silva. And they both kind of had that weird phase where they just didn't really seem that interested. They're kind of messing around. Fights got a little bit closer than they needed to be. And Jones has came out and said that, you know, he wasn't motivated for those fights. He was kind of just on cruise control, but now he is. We don't know how true that is, right? Every fighter always says they're in the best shape of their life before every fight. But if that is true, that's a scary prospect for Cyril GaN because he just got taken down a bunch of times by Francis Naganu. And John Jones is one of the best wrestlers ever in the heavier divisions, certainly. So, you know, the line movement on this has been interesting. When they first announced this fight, Jones was about plus 150 as an underdog. That's since more or less flipped, where Jones, you know, moderate favorite here. That's kind of hard for me to pull the trigger on from a betting standpoint. It's just past the point where I feel like there's too many unknowns about him. Go, you know, will his skills transfer with all the extra weight? Has he lost a step, did all the time out? How much of his success was due to drugs that they're now testing for? Is it just the three years out is too much to overcome? That's a lot of questions. It, you know, underdog money, loved it. Not huge on it now. Of course, from a DFS standpoint, you got to play him at 8,400, man. Like, he's going to rack up some takedowns. I think if I'm Cyril camp, I haven't spent the last however many months trying to defend takedowns. I spent the last however many months trying to figure out how to get back up. That's awesome from a DFS standpoint. Because even if Jones doesn't win or Gon lands a lot of strikes, you know, if he gets a takedown, Gon gets back up, he gets another one, those little trips, all that stuff. Those points are going to add up fast. So, excellent DFS fight, I think. Don't see a reason not to just play both of them in cash games. From a tournament standpoint, I definitely want both. I think Gon could probably put him out if he's able to land any shots on him. And there's just so many unknowns with John Jones, as you alluded to.
0: Well, the uh, bad with John Jones. Well, let's see, PD suspension. Uh, how many arrests? At least one, right? Multiple, multiple arrests, right? Yeah, I think two or three, and a bunch of off the and a bunch out of out of the ring. uh again, so we don't need to really go into. But he seems to be. I mean, yeah. There's the fighter John Jones, and there's out of the ring making bad publicity John Jones.
1: Yeah, and obviously, we're not worried about that, right? Like, from a gambling DFS speculation standpoint, he gets to the cage, he gets to the cage. But you do have to wonder about motivation and how hard he's been training. By all accounts, it looks like, you know, like he was in his prime. So that should be really interesting. But it's a new weight class. He's 35. He had three years off. None of those are easy things to overcome. So I think Jones is more likely than not to win this fight. Again, if you look at the drafting salaries, 8400 That's a steal even just based on line movement since they dropped the salary. You know, really strong DFS play, of course. But, you know, laying the kind of juice you'd have to on him from a betting standpoint, don't love. You know, if you I tweeted it out when they first dropped the lines that Jones was a steal at plus 150, plus 160. Obviously, you can't get that anymore, you know. Locking up your money for that length of time is a whole different question, but yeah, I'm looking forward to the fight. Can't wait to see how he does. I think it'll also be interesting to see if Jones is able to win. Does he stay active at heavyweight? Is he fighting two, three times a year for the first time in a long time? Or is he kind of just hanging around waiting for super fights? Because the worst thing that could happen in my opinion here is Jones wins the title, but he kind of just shelves it for a while and is only waiting for Stipe or you know, isn't willing to fight deserving contenders. And then we have another division that's kind of just sitting on the shelf. Or maybe they get,
0: or maybe the UFC somehow gets Francis Nadon back.
1: You know, it wouldn't shock me if Francis goes and takes a boxing fight or two, makes a ton of money, and then comes back for a John Jones super fight. Wouldn't shock me. I think the UFC would have to change how they do business in terms of trying to lock him up for an eight-fight deal or whatever. But. But that's a whole different story. I mean, we've got Curtis Blades versus Sergei Pavlovich on the books for a month or two from now. Winner of that probably should get the next heavyweight title fight, barring whatever Stipe is doing. But, you know, we'll see. That's that's far down the line. Let's just focus on uh, 285 for now because it's an awesome night of car- night of fights.
0: <laughs> yeah, because because you tell me we get one of the GOATs of MMA and then uh, how about Valentina Shinchinko? The queen of the 125-pound division,
1: right? Yeah, ar- arguably the best female fighter of all time. Her only losses in the UFC are when she stepped up to 135 to fight Amanda Nunes. Took took her to a decision twice, which is no small feat against Nunes just to have a competitive fight. And has pretty thoroughly cleaned out the female 125-pound division. You know, we saw in her last fight, I actually bet on Tyla Santos. I thought Santos won that fight. But it's not, you know, robbery by any stretch. It was a very close fight. She showed some holes, you know. I think Santos showed there is a path to beating Shevchenko. If you can kind of bully her against the cage, work takedowns, work grappling where she's a little bit weaker. With all that said, this is just a horrible matchup for um. Oh, I'm black and I Alexa Grasso. She's not that kind of fighter. She lands less than half a takedown per 15 minutes in her UFC career. She's just a pure stand-up striker. Not a ton of power doesn't really put people away. That's about the worst style you could bring to a Valentina Shevchenko matchup. So I think Grasso will make this mildly competitive. Like, she's not just going to get starched on the feet. There's just not really a clear path to victory for her. So from a DFS standpoint, if you can swing the salary, just play Shevchenko. Kind of tough, but she should end up with a really good score. I think she'll look to grapple a little bit here, which really helps out the scoring. But there's a ton of 9000 plus fighters with awesome lines and odds and you know gonna be projected really highly. So it's a little bit of a trickier one for cash games. I mean,
0: is there a chance you play is there a chance you play Grasso at sixty eight hundred? Because if she somehow got a decision against Nchenko,
1: I mean, could Grasso put up how many points would you need from that salary? Obviously, that depends on the rest of your lineup construction. The challenge is, if you play both heavyweight fighters, now you've guaranteed yourself two losses, so you really need decent scores out of both your losers at that point. You might want, you know, 30 or 40 points. She's a super high-volume striker, so if she goes 25 minutes, you know, she lost a 15-minute decision to Carla Esparza. I'm trying to see how many points she put up in that one. She lost a 15-minute decision to Carla Esparza and scored... 35 points. Yeah. So, you know, you give her two extra rounds, could she get to 45 or 50 in a loss? Probably. Valentina Shevchenko is a little bit harder to hit than Carla Esparza, to to put it mildly. So, But 35 points is a reasonable, you know, line if she's able to make it 25 minutes. That's a big ask to say that she can make it 25 minutes. The other thing you have to weigh, is there anyone else in that cheaper range, even within a few hundred, that you'd prefer? You know, Song Kanan against Ian Gary, Jeff Neal. You're probably not playing Jamie Pickett against Bo Nickel, so no. there's an opportunity cost thing. Whether you can try to make a more balanced lineup with some closer underdogs you think have a chance, versus just hey, I'm going to take the L on Grasso, open up a lot of salary, play some heavy favorites elsewhere.
0: I mean, it, I, be honest from a betting standpoint, I'm not sure. I I'm not sure I touch this fight because shimchenko has got juicy odds and. You really, I, I really don't think Ross is going to threaten her much. She might, I don't question her condition, but I don't think Ross will really threaten the champ.
1: No, I, and I agree. And honestly, like from a betting standpoint, what I really want to happen is Shevchenko to just start her on the feet. And then we get like plus 500 on Aaron Blanchfield against Shevchenko in the next fight because Blanchfield is a nightmare matchup for Shevchenko. She's big. She's a great grappler. She's going to bully her against the fence. All those things that Tyler Santos did, Blanchfield is also really good at. And Blanchfield has seen the game plan. She's basically a decade younger than Shevchenko. That's a whole different story again. I'm getting ahead of myself with thinking about the future here. But that's the matchup that I want to fade Shevchenko in. Not this one against a similarly aged pure striker who doesn't have a lot of pop. Just none of that is how you beat Shevchenko, if there is a way to beat Shevchenko.
0: All right. Before we talk about the rest of the card, I do want to discuss uh, what's with what do you think should happen if the UFC sees like a cancel main event? Because I think we've seen a couple times recently, but there've been two canceled main events, including this this past weekend where both we're both light heavyweight fighter. Fighters didn't fight because one of them was ill before the fight. So what do you think the UFC could do if there's a postpone or cancer fight on after the cold st- starts?
1: What do you think the UFC should do? Or what do I think DraftKings should do in terms of fantasy? Both. Contest? Well, for the UFC, I honestly my answer is going to be pretty similar for both. The UFC can't do much. These are human beings like, stuff happened i what was supposed to be my last amateur fight i tried to cut down to 155 you know for those who don't know my backstory which i'd imagine is everyone i primarily fought 170 i walked around 185 pounds kind of a little welterweight but too big to make 55 tried to do it my body just shut down when i had food and water again i drove to the venue was getting taped up and all that couldn't stop throwing up these things happen like these are human beings stuff's gonna happen they happen in other sports too but in team sports if you know, the backup left guard is thrown up before the game. It's not like they have to cancel the game. They just keep playing football. So there's not a ton the UFC can do. You know, it's, I think a lot of it is a function of weight cuts and diets and stuff like that. Just even if the weight cut goes okay, introducing food to your body again after it hasn't had it for 24, 36, whatever hours, you're always kind of rolling the dice. And it's it's a bit of an art and a bit of a science to getting that right. You know, is there probably better ways to take care of fighters? Maybe we've talked about all the ways that we can try to limit weight cutting. They all have their own problems. I don't think that's ever really going to work the way that promotions think it might. I don't think there's a ton you can do. It sucks when it's a main event. Had that been the first fight on the card between two guys we'd never heard of, no one would have remembered it or thought anything of it. So that's a tough one. As far as DraftKings, we saw how late swap worked, which was not great. I think it's just, it's going to happen and it's going to suck. And somebody else is going to win that night, right? Like if you go hundred percent main event fighters, tough break over a long enough time span. If you're building lineups correctly and factoring in the risk and the ownership on those guys, sometimes it's going to benefit you too. Like I had some really good lineups last week that probably would have won significant money had span won at the very least, maybe not if both guys fought, but I've also had weeks where I faded a fight that got canceled and I made more money than I would have otherwise, because all the people that played those guys took the hit. So there's a reason we look at ownership. There's a reason we think about not playing super popular guys, especially in tournaments. And that's one of them, right? Because if that fight gets canceled, you're in a great spot if you don't have any of them and your opponents do.
0: It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that your strategy didn't work on me. Sometimes Weird things happen. I mean, it seems like every day around Southwest more somebody drives off the deep end and ends up in a car accident or something. I mean, it, weird things happen.
1: It, it's a super physically demanding sport, right? Like, not just the fight. Like, that's what people don't understand. The amount of strain and stress on your body just to make weight is more than most people have gone through physically in any context. So stuff's gonna happen Donald Cerrone's gonna eat bad hamburgers two fights in a row or whatever like these things happen there's not a ton we can do we all saw the alternative which was the late swap that went horrible so I think it just you know you're gonna lose some any DFS sport you play your quarterback might sprain his ankle in the first quarter you might bet a player prop over on a shooting guard who gets hurt in the first half like it's just part of sports we just notice it so much more because it's an individual sport, so the whole thing gets scrapped versus again, you know, Jalen Hurts gets hurt in the first quarter, it's not like they cancel the football game. That's the only difference, but build around it. If you think everyone's gonna be playing the main event fighters and there's a chance like John Jones doesn't show up for whatever reason because he's John Jones, fade that fight. Like you'll make a ton of money by doing that, if you're right. So there's ways to plan for it on our end. And I just don't think, you know, complaining about it is really worthwhile obviously for you and I like the two sickos that play cash games every week because nobody else does this it sucks because the correct strategy is to play both main event fighters when there's only one five round fight like it's not even a solid strategy it's just outright correct this is what we should be doing every once in a while we're going to get burned but there are some lineups that cashed even with both main event fighters because so many people do that so you know it sucks I don't like it but don't bet what you can't lose
0: (laughs) Or we find out five minutes before, the, before the, a Chargers game that Justin Herbert's playing because literally Tyrod Taylor can't play.
1: Yeah, I mean, the long, sordid history of the San Diego slash Los Angeles Chargers medical staff is a whole different issue because those guys are. But, like, I mean, that was cool. I remember I think I had some Tyrod in DFS that week and, like, found out just in time to make some swaps. So I get it. It's unfortunate. From a DraftKings standpoint, I almost think we should lock the whole prelim cards at the start of the prelim, and then lock the main events or the main card at the start of you know 10 p.m. or whenever it goes off, just because that is a set time. They could do that. It's kind of a good compromise. That wouldn't help us last week anyway, though. So I don't know how much good that would even do. Like that football when you have a 1 p.m. and then a exactly. 4 p.m. lock. Yeah, th- that's why I said that because it's a similar method. But like, they announced that that fight was off. Two minutes after the main card officially launched, so it wouldn't have saved us anyway. You know, are there weeks it would have? Maybe. I'd rather, with how poorly DraftKings executed it when they tried it, they just don't. Right? Like it was so bad. Guys were swapping onto fighters in fights that already happened. They were locking fighters who were two fights away that you wanted to swap to. It just wasn't worth it. It was just such a headache. Although I will say, DraftKings went back and credited me a hundred bucks for a uh, fifty-dollar double up that I finished thirty-first in when thirtieth was the cash line. Because they DQ'd somebody ahead of me for swapping onto a fight that had already happened. And it was like three weeks later they gave me the money. So that was a nice little bonus.
0: <laughs> all right. So um, now back to uh, this week's card. So um, there's one guy I'm really looking forward to seeing. And I know you all too. because you and everybody else. Because uh, Bo Nickel. If you remember his Penn State wrestling days, is a really good wrestler.
1: And more importantly, he's a really good athlete. You know, he starts some people on the feet, too. Here's the thing. Don't lay minus 2,000 on Bo Nickel or whatever. Like, I'm this... not in a legal betting state. I'm not even thinking about it. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily mean you. Like, if you're listening to this, like, seriously, don't do that. At those odds, it's, you know, 95% win rate you need to make profit. Is there a greater than a five percent chance he, you know, slips on the Prime Hydration logo in the cage and twists an ankle, or comes in with a knee injury we don't know about? Like seriously, don't lay minus two thousand on an MMA fight ever. So much weird stuff can happen. With that said, he's a very intriguing DFS play because there's other heavy favorites. You know, he's four hundred dollars more than Shavkat Rakhmonov. He's two hundred more than Shevchenko. He's three hundred more than Ian Gary. Ian is the one I'm not as interested in from a price-considered standpoint, I don't think he's as likely to pick up a bunch of takedowns or get a quick finish. You know, Bo at 9,600, he almost needs to win this in the first minute to pay off from a DFS standpoint. But man, did they make this fight just so Bo Nickel could look good. Like, the UFC is not in the Jamie Pickett business. He's not an up-and-coming guy. This is not a test for Bo Nickel. This is, hey, everyone, let's see how good Bo Nickel is. Now you get to watch it. With that said... Man, I think Shavkot's kind of in the same boat. I don't think they really think Jeff Neal is a considerable challenge to him. You know, Shavkat's minus 500, minus 600 range, which feels like a huge difference versus Nichols' line. But if you look at the implied odds, it's really only like 10-ish percent. You're getting him 400 cheaper. Jeff Neal might be able to get back up from a couple takedowns, which gives Shavkot more scoring opportunities than Nichols going to have. Even, you know, I'm actually kind of getting dragged on Twitter for this right now. If anyone follows me, Cameron Salmon, 8,800, they bring him in to win this too. He's only 8,800. He's fighting Mana Martinez. Mana Martinez is two and one, but both of his UFC wins are split decisions. Both could have gone the other way. So I think there's certainly paths to not playing Bo Nickel in DFS tournaments and having it work out just because with how much more he costs than these other guys. He's going to need a huge score. Almost has to be first minute where, you know, if Simon or Shavkot, if they kind of beat up a guy for four and a half minutes and finish him at the end of the first round, that might be a bigger score or even just a close score, which then makes nickel not in the optimal. Is it also, is it also,
0: I mean, let's say Bo gets, how many takedowns would he have to get in a, in one round? Would he have to get like multiple takedowns?
1: I mean, you, you basically, with these super high price guys, you want them to win in the first minute because of that quick win bonus or at, like, the 458 mark, right? Because that way they've got all those times. The problem is he's not going to get more than one takedown per round because Jamie Pickett is not going to get back up with Bo Nickel on top of him. He's just not. Like, this isn't a thing that's going to happen, right? And I hate saying things definitively like that because someone's going to come back and, oh, we got two takedowns. You know what I'm saying. There's a very good odds that once this one hits the ground, it doesn't come back up. So I'm not even thinking about how many takedowns. The answer is one. He's going to get one for every round. And control time is really not worth that much from DFS. Is it going to take a lot of shots to finish Jamie Pickett on the ground from Bo Nickel? Probably not. But does Bo Nickel come in there and dance around and show off his stand-up a little bit before getting the takedown, finish him at 1.30, 2.30 in the first round? That'd still be a very good score, great for cash games if you can find the salary. I just have a hard time seeing a path towards him being in the optimal lineup unless either the other expensive fighters all fail or he finishes them in the first minute. Kind of kind of in play that he finishes them in the first minute. It wouldn't shock me, but it's tough to build lineups when you got one guy at 9,600. Assuming you're also playing Shevchenko as well, that makes it tough.
0: Yeah, that's why I love that's why I love double championship cards because now now calculations are out the window.
1: Yeah, and there's and this is a general strategy thing, so don't think too much about this card. Heavier weight fighters don't get back up when they get taken down. Like when you see flyweight takedowns, right? They're down for twelve seconds, they pop back up. There's another takedown. Even you know lightweights. We've got Mateus Gamrat on the card when he fought Armin Sarakian. You could have scored somewhere between like two and 80 takedowns in that fight, depending on how quick you were on counting it as a takedown versus a scramble. That's the kind of thing we need for DFS. We need a takedown, the guy gets back up, you take him down again over and over. Nobody's getting up, and Bo Nickel takes him down. Not nobody. Nobody he's going to fight in the next couple of fights is getting back up, which kind of just limits his ceiling in terms of the takedown. You know, sometimes I think it was like Ronnie Lawrence a couple years ago. Landed like 12 takedowns in a fight. He won a decision and still scored like 150 points. You're not going to see that out of Bo Nickel because the other guy would have to get him off him and they ain't going <laughs> to. Yeah, I mean,
0: if the UFC... I mean, if, the, if Bo Nickel won in a cakewalk in his UFC pay-per-view debut, they gave him one.
1: Yeah, I mean, but... And this is the thing people may, like. This might be a controversial take here, but I think Cameron Saman, similar boat. They're giving him Mana Martinez. They're not in the Mana Martinez business, they're in the 22 year old undefeated South African business. Shavkat Rachmanov. Jeff Neal's a tough guy, but come on. Like we saw what Shavkat did to Neil Magny last year, it just made him look like a child. Those might be better DFS plays. One, when you consider the salary, and two, Shavkat might have to take Jeff Neal down a few times. He's kind of my favorite in terms of ceiling just because. Jeff Neal should put up just enough of a fight to open up that ceiling a little bit more. Just don't have an end five seconds into the second round. Honestly, even, you know, I mentioned Gamrod, he's fighting Jalen Turner. Turner is dangerous off his back, a good grappler, not great takedown defense. That could be a fight where Gamrat takes him down, Turner wiggles off the cage, gets back up. Gamrat does it again. Like, there's a massive ceiling on that one. Although that one, you don't have the safety of, like, massive favorite. This guy's almost definitely going to win. So you're trading that a little bit, but I think Gamrat should handle Turner fairly easily, which makes him a great DFS play.
0: Might be a better GPP play because everybody's going to play Bo Nickel.
1: I I don't know. Yeah, you're probably right. Just on name recognition and all that. I want to say that not everyone's going to play Bo Nickel just because he's so expensive and it's tough to fit him. But you're probably right. So we'll have to do another private Zoom call before I make my ownership projections because I'm going to be in my own head too much this week. I'm gonna be yeah, I'm gonna be calculating like do, 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 do. I mean you're the cash game guy. You don't give a crap about ownership projections, they don't matter.
0: Yeah, I'll play the guy who's ninety-two percent in cash and watch it and watch him get seventy. <laughs> but then it doesn't matter, right? Everybody else gets 72. Not if I'm not if my guy
1: calls ninety two hundred and your guy calls ninety-six. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's tough and I like. In a perfect world, would I play Bo Nickel in all my lineups? Sure. Like, I'm big into the UFC Rainmakers. I bought a bunch of him, like, two months ago. He's the captain in all my lineups over there because you don't have a salary cap. But, you know, does that mean he's necessarily going to get the best score when you factor in salary? No, just because how scoring works. Can I, can I go on a mini rant about drafting scoring here? Yes. Yeah. All right, cool. So, They fixed it a little bit by doing that quick win bonus, because it sucked when your guy wins in 10 seconds and doesn't score that many points, right? So they made it a little bit better. Now you win in the first minute, they get, is it 25 extra for the first minute, I think? Which definitely helps, right? So you don't get penalized for having a guy be too good. But what they really should do, instead of it being by round or whatever, it should just be however many seconds are left in the fight you get some multiple of that for a finish. So if you finish early in the first round, that's worth more than late in the first round finish early in the second is worth more than late in the second. We can debate how that works for a five round fight versus a three round fight. I'm not really that worried about it, but finishing a guy, you know, uh, who was, Oh, Michael Chandler, when he front kicked Tony Ferguson, that shouldn't be like 20 points less than if he had done it four seconds earlier in the fight. Like that should be one point less or something. So that that is one way they should fix that. Anyone wants to email your DraftKings representative and propose my theory, just give me credit for it. We'll call it the ward scoring. <laughs> just saying. Now what
0: now what now we're talking uh talking how the fixed DK scores today, you guaranteed the win every week, right? <laughs>
1: Well, no, but I'm just, so if Bo Nickel finishes this in 61 seconds versus 59, should that really be worth 25 points less because it took him two seconds longer? What yeah. if the ref was just a little slow on getting his hand in there when he landed the knockout punch with 58 seconds, but it took Herb Dean two seconds to get there? Like, okay. there's no, there shouldn't be this arbitrary line, you know?
0: What if the or what if Herb Dean let the fighter go
1: two seconds more before he shook down? Right. Or Bruce Buffer just reads the wrong time, you know? It's all possible it should be it should be incrementally less points every second it shouldn't be just a big cliff right at that mystical one minute mark five minute ten minute should be like draining sand should
0: be like draining sand
1: right right yeah you start with however many finish points and they slowly trickle away all right anyone else on the card you want to talk about get to because there's a ton here
0: I mean, it's gonna be. I mean, you're telling me we've got John Jones, Simchenko, Bo Nickel, all these guys. I mean, this is this is a crazy card, and and uh, I think one where whether you're playing GPPs for that of uh, what is it the hundred thousand all or you're playing cash games like us. Everybody's gonna have fun this weekend.
1: Yeah, real quick, just I'm going to rapid fire through some of these thoughts on the card. Uh, Jalen Turner versus Mateus Gamrot, someone's going to score a ton of points. I'm not super confident it's going to be Gamrot, but you're going to want that fight. Um, Ian Gary's probably too expensive here. He's not really a finisher. It's a little bit tougher of a fight than I think the betting lines would indicate, because he's like minus 700, which is a bit much. I think Samen's a steal at 8,800. Drake is two If he wins, he's about minus 250 in there, 8,600 going to be by knockout if he wins against Blond Brunson. That's a good one. Uh, I like Trevin Jones on the cheap end, just because he's fighting Cody Garbrandt, who famously has some issues with his chin, and Trevin Jones got a little bit of pop. Not playing him in cash, but from a GPP standpoint. Cheap cash guys, they're cash plays. Jessica Penny is probably going to be a 15-minute fight against Ricci. That's not a terrible one. Grasso, who we mentioned earlier. Mm, man, it's kind of tough on the cheaper end here. Arahujo against Hibas, I think Hibas should probably be a bigger favorite than this one, so I'm not touching Arahujo at 7,900. Anyone else? Any thoughts you have, Dylan? We can bounce off each other for the last few minutes here.
0: I mean, I think the big question this weekend is three championship fighters or four championship fighters.
1: Yeah, that's always the question. And, you know, Jones and Gan are so close in salary that, like, Just play them both. What are you doing here? Right. It'll be interesting to see when all the like inside the distance lines come out because that might change the calculus here a little bit. It's hard though. Like if you play Jones gone and Shevchenko, salary gets real tight. But if you play Grasso, then you're guaranteed two losses in your lineup. The heavyweight fight, the loser might not have a good score. So it's tricky. You know, if you feel confident enough to pick a side in the heavyweight fight and then go just Shevchenko could open up some salary but that would take that would take some guts that I don't know if I'm willing to do for this one
0: yeah especially because both have because both fighters are known for are known for going the distance because I think God's like has gone like 25 let me I mean
1: see. he's got some stoppages too it's not it'll be interesting and you know bigger have you 25 guns.
0: minutes a couple times
1: yeah, I mean more than from a heavyweight generally speaking, but but if they that's you know usually the way I do the analysis with that is if there's one fight that's very likely to end inside the distance, I'm not going to play both fighters from that because the loser probably has a bad score. I think both of these are probably going to have reasonably close finish odds. But one of them those close finish odds heavily imply that Shevchenko is going to win. the other one it's like we don't know who's going to win but it's probably going to end early so that's those make it trickier
0: all right billy i've made that oh sorry go ahead go ahead
1: Uh, i was gonna say i've made that read correctly in the past with picking the fight that gets finished versus the one that doesn't and still been burned for it because the one that gets finished the loser glover teixeira scores a million points even though he gets finished so that doesn't guarantee success it's just one one thing to look at
0: All right, Billy. So thanks for hopping on today. Hopefully this week is very profitable. And uh, this is going to start a award win of URC pay-per-views. I think we've got like three in the next five, six weeks.
1: Yeah. Which, I'm not going to go out on my other mini rant here, but stop it. That's too much. No one wants to spend that much money.